guys, and welcome to another episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to Nuclear. I'm your host, Gunther. On today's show, Centrica attempts to jump out of a hole, which may have been subsequently filled by the government, Cumbria decide not to dig a hole, and Sellafield are left with a giant hole in their finances. So guys, welcome to the show. Unfortunately, Gail isn't here because of work, but I'm joined today by Stephen Cockrell and Hello. Jonathan Mann. Hey. So you guys have been on the show before, haven't you? Indeed. You sort of know how it works. Yeah. Anything interesting happened since the new year? Nay. Nay. Oh, God. I think that's alluding to horse meat somehow. (laughs) Had too many Findus lasagnas there, Steve. (laughs) Ooh, biting satire. (laughs) Anything interesting happened to you, John? Nothing nearly as interesting as the recent developments within the nuclear industry. Ooh. Ooh. Right then, guys. So we're going to get on the show, but first, uh, we haven't been on for a while. As you may have heard, I wrote a blog post earlier in the month, which was basically alluding to the fact that we are PhD students, so we have been doing work, which may surprise (laughs) some of you. But, yeah, so unfortunately we haven't been on for a while since our Christmas edition, but we hope to sort of get back up and running. So this is our first show. We've got a lot of news stories today. Basically, mostly doom and gloom for nuclear this past month, as John alluded to. But there have been one or two stories that have popped up in the last week that, you know, could be food for thought moving forward. So I suppose... Without further ado, let's get on with the news. Our first news story centres on Centrica. With spiralling construction costs on a par with the Millennium Dome and more delays than the M6 northbound between junctions 3 and 4, nuclear new build appears to be in a spot of bother. As a result of these developments, Centrica, one of the largest electricity suppliers in the UK, have decided to withdraw its financial support and backing for new UK nuclear. Although they have decided not to invest in the 20% share of four nuclear reactors with EDF, the decision is said not to affect their investment in the UK's eight existing nuclear power stations. So guys, start, start us off, what, what do we think of this one then? It's pretty grim. Pretty grim? Yeah, in short. Why, why would you say that then? Well, why, why is it grim? I kind of feel that since this is the country that's building the reactors, we should really have some kind of input from one of our own, <laughs> one of our own companies. Well, maybe that's good. I mean, I last guess time that... they did it so badly. Yeah. That's why right. no, no, they know what no, they're doing. <laughs> no, but you raise a good point, though. I mean, obviously, when we had like a nationalised system and then partly privatised system, and then it's gone, you know, swings and roundabouts. I think maybe you raise a good point there, Steve. Maybe it is. God, that it's out of our control. No, do you know what I mean? No, I think yeah. it's. It just doesn't look very good for the, the national, and especially since we're getting everyone else to come in and do it for us. Yeah. It doesn't help us as our role of experts within the industry. It just doesn't inspire faith, really. Yeah, I mean, it's centric, basically. I mean, it's 20%. I mean, it obviously, it sounds 20%. sounds like quite a big joke. It says they're writing down £200 million in the process. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Whoa. <laughs> well, we're approaching their £1 billion cap, which they'd um, allowed for pre. Build expenditure. Oh, so, so, they, so this spiraling cost well, thing is it wasn't their cost complete thing. rubbish. It was from everyone, yeah. So ah. it's getting big, but they've just decided to pull out and refund some money to their um, shareholders rather than carry on. I mean, to me, why? I mean, why do you think it's spiraling so much? The cost then? Why, I mean, why? I mean, obviously, it is a huge investment up front because you've got to build the thing. 
But I don't know, do you, why do you think it's been spiralling? Do you think it's because of the political climate? Yeah, that's Fukushima, mainly been? Fukushima. Yeah. But do you think, do you, I mean, I suppose what I'm alluding to is, do you think the UK government have been pretty poor in their sort of dealings with nuclear in the past? You know, they've been, I'd say they've been pretty vague mm-hmm. in some of their... EDF have... Yeah, have compl- we've, we've actually reported on the show where EDF have complained that they've been too vague in some of their, you know, outlay, outlines about the energy sector in the country... But hopefully with the new 40-year contracts thing. We obviously we talked about it on the show before, but essentially the UK government have now agreed to a contracts for difference policy, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They've come out and said it now, essentially. We, we explained on the show before, but contracts for difference is quite a complex system. But, you know, without its airs and graces, it's essentially a si- system that utilities companies will build and operate the reactors and they would actually be generated... With the insurance of knowing that uh, there'd be a minimum—can't even say it—minimum strike price for the energy they generate. And what that means is, if the market price actually falls below the strike price at any point whilst they're generating the electricity, the difference will actually be made up by a surcharge on the taxpayers' energy bills. So this is where people have been complaining about this idea of subsidising it, haven't they? Mm. Well, they originally, of course, said that they were going to offer no subsidies at all. So this is like a big, big U-turn, isn't it, for the UK government? Well, they kind of been working up to it. I think they knew they had to do it. And they, they changed the original wording from no subsidies to no unfair subsidies, but which a lot of people thought was really just setting the way for nuclear. Do you think that's backfired then on the UK government? Because essentially Centrica have pulled out, you know, with the idea of spiralling costs... Not many, you know, assuring uh, statements from the government and delays, obviously, with, like, the political system we've got in this country. So do you think it's actually... I mean, I don't understand what... Do you think they've done this, I suppose, in haste? They've announced this in haste, knowing that if Centrica have pulled out, there's a big chance that... Uh, If EDF pulled out, yeah. Yeah, if EDF pulled out. Although, saying that, EDF were coming... I think they're coming to an agreement with uh, the the national... Nationalised Chinese nuclear firm, aren't they? Yeah, the um, who was it? The China Guangdong Nuclear Power Corporation, because they're obviously the people who they think are going to step in and take the place of Centrica in this deal. Ah, okay. So, but I do get the feeling that that was sort of a knee-jerk reaction from the UK. Do you? I mean, it's just—is it me? It strikes as quite a bizarre coincidence that they'd. I think that's a fair observation. Yeah, yeah. Well, a hundred pounds as well is quite a lot. That's double the current wholesale electricity price, isn't it? Yeah, so essentially what we were talking about before we were on the show was they're actually setting this strike price slightly below £100, uh, but as uh, Steve just said, didn't you, the actual market price is half that. So this is given a pretty much cast-iron guarantee that taxpayers are going to be paying for this, aren't they? <laughs> it's... I don't understand what would cause a huge surge in energy price, you know, electricity prices in the next few years. But I mean, what have you got? A, oh, you've got a graph there, Steve. Unfortunately, yeah, you can't see this guys on the show. But it's an amazing graph. Comparis- so Steve's got their comparative wholesale retail electricity chart, haven't you? Yeah, from two thousand and seven to present. Okay. And it's never reached a hundred pounds. And it's never reached a hundred quid. Okay. Okay. But. Saying that, has it steadily risen over that time, or how does it change? There's a peak in 2008, and then it's just gone back to 50. (laughs) Oh, okay. Do you know why that peak was there, though? I guess that's through gas prices. I guess. Ah, okay, okay. That's about the time Shell and 
Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Okay, then, fair, fair enough, then. I mean, M- MPs have been really upset, though, with sort of... They would say the government's changing rhetoric on subsidies, but I suppose they're not the only people. I suppose the energy companies themselves have been really annoyed, haven't they? Because this change in rhetoric has certainly affected their position on investing. I mean, we've got the whole E.ON... RWE. This is the thing, though. What annoys me about Eon RWE pulling out the Horizons thing is that wasn't necessarily to do with the UK energy market. That was to do with them trying to. I, I'd say that was a damage li- limitation case, with it because obviously all the German reactors yes. have been decommissioned, so they had that to worry about. Mm. On top of this, they just, that I suppose that's the main reason why they bailed out of investing in UK nuclear because they had too many problems at home anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, since the 2010 promise that there would be no public subsidy, ministers have modified it to say no unfair ones, if you said, John. But, I mean, we've had, uh, say, Paul Flynn, for instance, who's a Labour MP, and he's a long-time anti-nuclear campaigner. He refers to Davy, obviously, the energy... Uh, Ed Davy, the energy minister. Davy is saying there will be a subsidy, perhaps an enormous subsidy, but you, Parliament and the public, will not know that until it's too late for it to change. Which I don't necessarily agree with, because... You know, the whole point of the article has made you aware of the fact that there could be. It's not like some clandestine subsidy that The Guardian have only just reported, you know, <laughs> after several years of investigative journalism. So, I mean, I don't know. Have you got any... Have you got another... Ah, char- oh, you've got it's a... It's exactly ga- the same. It's yeah. exactly the same. So that, that peak, guys, that we were alluding to, the wholesale retail electricity price, so that peak was when? 2008? Yeah, the same peak as with gas prices. Oh, with gas prices, Okay. So for the nuclear industry, that's pretty reassuring then, isn't it, that they're going to get yeah. a nice return on their investment. So it's looking ever more likely attractive for these energy companies that this contract for difference policy would be good. Does anyone know exactly how much it would cost a taxpayer on average or the average household? I think I saw a figure of around £76 a year for a household, but I don't use for that out anyway. Hmm? For nuclear? If, if For these contracts of difference. Can't find my source. Is that current prices though? If it's a current prices, sure. that doesn't mean much. Mm. It's not going to happen for another four years. Seventy-six pounds can go a long way though, especially in these times. The yeah, interesting, the gas interesting prices are quite likely to go up though. In four years. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing you raise the point. We've keep coming back to this market price stabilising about fifty quid. You were saying, Steve, with that chart. According to the Guardian. Uh, well, someone says, Burke, who was a visiting professor at Imperial and University College in London, calculated that just below £100 a strike price unit, if the market price stabilised at £50, which is actually below the lowest government forecast market price of £59 in 2030, EDF would receive £50 billion in support from the government over four decades for Hinkley Point. A fair amount of profit for one power station. Yeah, for Hinkley. <laughs> yeah, that's over four decades, bear in mind. But that's still, you know, quite a alarmingly large figure. So the Department of Energy and Climate Change as well said in a statement, no commitment has been made on commercial terms or a strike price. Ongoing discussions are focused on finding a fair, affordable deal, which represents value for money for consumers any agreement reached will be laid before Parliament and will include details of the strike price, which sounds like it's at odds <laughs> with what's being reported in the papers. I want to try and get to the bottom of who... Well, it's, it's according to this, The Guardian has learned that ministers intent on keeping the guaranteed wholesale cost of each unit of energy below the politically crucial figure of £100 per megawatt are proposing to extend contracts from the 20 years original visit to at least 30 and possibly as long as 40. 
Yeah, it's um, it's pretty alarming, isn't it? Really, they're going to be earning a lot of money from it. But has anyone got anything else to say on it? Have they confirmed how long these contracts of difference are going to be? I've just found an article from the Guardian that says EDF are pushing for the forty-year contract, yeah. which is the full. I think contract. that's the sort of consensus: is the energy company is going to be pushing for this as long as possible, which means they're going to be earning <clears throat> all money for as long as possible. By the sounds of it, affect things like life extension of reactors. Then, once you get past forty, I genuinely don't know. That'd be quite an interesting. Well, I guess if they've already made their money back, yeah, then it's just. More. Yeah, it's an economically yeah, viable enterprise, money. isn't it? And if they find new free energy, bankrupt. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I suppose uh, that's about it for that one, guys. Yeah. Moving on. A song for the nuclear youth. <clears throat> one, two, three, four. policy of volunteerism, the UK government has sought to find a host community willing to build a nuclear waste repository. Until last month, it was thought that Cumbria may be willing to go to the next stage of repository planning. However, after debates raging over the effect such a facility will have on tourism, as well as whether the geology is even suitable to contain the waste, Cumbria County Council has vetoed a stage four search for a radioactive waste facility site. Is this a sim- simply a case of nimbyism, or have the government missed a trick in not promising certain compensation pledges for the community? So what do we think about this one, guys? I mean, is it a case of nimbyism, or, you know, not in my backyard, or is it the fact that it's more down to the government's fault for not sort of promising certain things? But well, the local council's agreed to it, so it's their backyard, not yeah. the <laughs> so it's, backyard. So we should, we should explain, for those <laughs> listeners out there, a nuclear repository is going to be a deep underground facility where we will store our intermediate and high-level nuclear waste, which will obviously be emitting radiation and heat. We will actually use the rocks and geology around where we've buried it to actually protect us from this harmful material, and hopefully it will be intended to be there for thousands and thousands upon thousands of millions of years, uh, so we won't ever have to worry about it, you know, at which point it will decay away. So the county council of veto, but Steve, what you've alluded to just there is the borough councils of Cumbria. One or two of them actually said yes, didn't they? Yeah, they said yes to it. Yeah. So this because they don't want it above ground being much more dangerous. Mm. So and the, underground and relatively harmless. So this was Copeland Borough Council, wasn't it? Who'd actually said yes to the facility. Uh, or going, let's say, going to the next stage. So stage four was essentially, uh, ex, you know, inspecting the geology, wasn't it, and testing the geology to see if it would actually be suitable. So this wasn't even the stage of building it. We were, you know, we're still way behind the curve, as it were, in terms of waiting to build one. As I understand it, the, was it the county, sorry, who vetoed it? The county they, vetoed it. They said that they, well, they cited one of their main reasons for that was that uh, experts have said that the fractured structure of the county was impossible to trust in the long term so that seems to be the main reason that they said no 
or the, at least the one they're citing. Yeah, I think the problem is they've taken two people. I think one was from the Geological Survey, mm-hmm. prominent professor, and someone else who are obviously very educated in geology um, because you know they're, they're professors, but they haven't done a detailed investigation of oh, the yeah. land in question. No, but that this is what the next stage would have been would have been actually right. testing the land. So to me, that doesn't seem a viable excuse because you're not even giving the authorities and the government the opportunity to investigate it. You're just taking the word of one or two people. That's essentially what they've done. Is they what they based that on then? I don't know. Oh, okay. But it's not. It's not enough. <laughs> you know. I mean, they, you would you would hope they'd have a you know an intensive period in which they would investigate and experiment on the geology, which hasn't happened yet. This this stage is going to be it. So they've just. You know, they've denied they've denied the government that 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 uh, decision. But yeah, no. So th- I think going back to this borough council stuff, so Copeland had actually said yes, hadn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So they'd actually voted six to one in favour of moving to the next stage. But they could actually, due to the construct of the this waste scheme, they could only proceed if the county council also agreed. Interestingly, though, the Copeland Council leader, Elaine Woodburn, would actually uh, be willing to meet up with the government and go it alone to seek an underground site. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not sure. Can that, they do that? Yeah, can they do that? Is there some sort of legal... Can the government just make a new county? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because I think this may raise one of the problems with a volunteer scheme or a consent-based approach. This has happened umpteen times before. Mm. As I said before we came on the show... Nine County, uh, where Yucca Mountain is situated. Now, if anyone out there is obviously savvy with their nuclear waste, Yucca Mountain was a complete and utter disaster on all fronts. The most recent, actually, volunteer community to actually be snubbed at state level, obviously in America, was Yucca Mountain. So after a commission chartered by the Obama administration recommended a new consent-based approach to break the deadlock over the site, Nye County officials wrote to US Energy Secretary Stephen Chu giving their consent to host the repository. However, the Nevada government, uh, governor should I say, subsequently informed Chu that the state of Nevada will never consent to a repository. So completely, you know, coming in with his power and completely cutting out. This was obviously complicated by the fact that Obama wanted to appease the head of the US Senate, uh, who was actually resident in Nevada, so by actually saying that, and he's completely anti-nuclear, was to actually say, we're not going to go ahead with this repository. So it wasn't just scientific and technical problems at Marduk Mountain, it was very politically charged as well. But I think this does raise a problem about the consent-based approach. You've obviously got to have your consent in neighbours, which is the whole county in this case. Uh, a geologically suitable site, which we will now never know, because <laughs> the county <laughs> council have refused us. So, I mean, according to new, this New Scientist article, they've said a top-down approach which is obviously just the government from the top just completely overruling the community to say, we're digging it here now. They've said a consent-based approach is a step in the right direction, but it doesn't actually fundamentally solve the problem. Do you think? I mean, do you think a consent-based approach like this is the right way to go? Pardon? What level of consent do you use? I mean, if you say the, the immediate locals have already given consent, but then you go a bit wider out, they've said no. Should you take that to the whole of the UK, maybe, and see what they think? Or get the whole UK to vote on it. Yeah, well, I know it's a bit <laughs> people, but... Um, I mean, this waste is all around the UK, mostly in Sellafield, so it does directly affect a lot of other people. 
Yeah, yeah I, kind of say. I yeah. mean, we're talking about this consent-based approach. I mean, as you mentioned, Steve, as worked in certain places like Sweden and Finland, <laughs> this new scientist says, those paragons of Nordic cooperation and efficiency, <laughs> they're actually now in sort of the last stages, if not the home stretch of actually building it. And they, they are held up, that, according to new scientists, that it's proof positive that a new policy can, this new consent-based approach can actually work. But I think from our understanding... They'd obviously up front promised the community certain provisos, wasn't it, to do with compensation? Money. <laughs> well, that, no, I mean, wasn't it they had a lottery between two sites and they promised one site hospitals and schools and then the other one got the repository and the expertise and so the amount. That was yeah, essentially what was going on. Compensation. Uh, a package plan. And I, I get the feeling the Cumbria County Council may have been expecting the UK government to be more up front with what they could offer, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the compensation plan. But I suppose that becomes very difficult, doesn't it? Because you haven't tested the geology. You don't know how much you're going to be investing in the site to make it feasible. You know, so why would you promise outright a certain level of compensation when, you know, it's obviously taxpayers' money? Yeah. Will that outrage the UK populace at large? You know, I mean, it's... So I can understand where the UK government are coming from, but I think this is going back to our last story on Centrica is UK commun- government communication has been pretty bad on all fronts with to do with nuclear but I don't I mean I don't know what you guys think about that but I think I feel that's certainly the case. Oh, it's been pretty horrible, yeah. So guys, so what do we think about the government communication? Obviously we've just alluded to sort of Centrica and uh, Cumbria. I mean what do yeah, you think about that? Well the the government's never really been clear on what they want to do with nuclear. I mean unless you go way back to the sixteen seventies when we built all our original fleet. But it's a it's a difficult topic politically. A lot of people are opposed, a lot of people are for. Difficult for a government to take a stance. Do you think it's the case that they need someone with sort of assertive action to some, come in? And some kind of dictator? No, not a dictator. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not, not linked to a dictator. <laughs> do you think the government need to be a heck of a lot more assertive in you know how they're going about this? Because obviously we're going to be talking about the costings at Sellafield in a bit, and that's another mm-hmm. area where the NDA, it Just could horrible. be argued, haven't been assertive. Well, I mean, the recent evidence just shown that if they're going to drag their feet and not say anything, people are pulling out. People are not going to be interested. Yeah. They want to know what's going on. I think it's probably the case with Cumbria as well, as you're saying. I think I think the education side of it as well I get, I get, is a big, big problem. I noticed Inside Out did a documentary. We've mentioned it once before on the programme, but they did a BBC documentary on interviewing the Cumbrian people and seeing what they felt about it. And it was really interesting to get some of their opinions because it was quite evident that there hadn't been much education on what this actually entailed. Because essentially what they thought was that this is a glorified hole in the ground and that's it whereas actually it's a really big feat of engineering uh, and it will bring in a lot of jobs and investment amazing engineering yeah no and it'll bring in a lot of jobs and investment into the community which I don't know do you, I mean that, that communication and education thing seems to be a barrier which not many people can seem to get across which mm-hmm. I find quite disconcerting and I think it genuinely doesn't help that the mainstream media in this country are getting worse and worse and worse and it seems to be becoming some sort of mudslinging match between environmentalists and also, the, I don't know, what do, you, do you think it's just an industry of extremes? Where they call oh, massive extremes. The Greenpeace just getting so angry all the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think the problem is with... I'll I tell you what, the most interesting thing I got out of this was Caroline Lucas, 
who I've obviously ranted about on the show before, <laughs> but she tweeted right after the decision of Cumbria County Council, and she said, ha-ha, the government plans for nuclear have been derailed, which makes it a purely political issue, but this is a moral... To me, it's a yeah, moral definitely. and ethical issue, because it's waste, and we need to it's get rid of it. It's not... It's not like... The UK government on. I would say wholly benefiting from this endeavour. It's something we have to deal with. I don't understand. What annoys me, I suppose, to some extent, is the fact that people are all but willing to address the problems of a nuclear waste repository, but they'll never offer their own solutions. Oh, nuclear waste repository, oh, terrible. Nuclear waste dump is the typical term going round. But they'll never, you'll never read an article where they'll actually provide a viable solution for it. Do you think? No. I think also it's just it's a waste dump it's a hard thing to kind of market to people <laughs> you don't really want to read about waste dumps yeah you just imagine Simpsons dumping it in like trees and lakes I don't know like I'd find it much more interesting if they said drilling a hole towards the centre of the earth and you know making it almost wrap it up in some sort of sci-fi joke, rather than just nuclear waste dump slash repository slash underground I don't know it's... underground waste dump surrounded by concrete like some of the, for instance, when I sat in on a meeting uh, one time, they were, they were talking about all sorts of fancy bits of technology they're using for balls. I found that really interesting. I was like, why aren't you talking about this stuff to people? You know, robots and all sorts of stuff they'll use, and it'll introduce all new industries into the community. And no, I think it's a shame because we're going to ha- we're going to have to deal with it, and that's it. People are going to have to face up to that fact very quickly because it's it's becoming a problem that's getting worse and worse and worse. I wonder how much of an effect kind of the current thing, clean-up in Sellafield and things like that, are going to have on this. Because obviously people are going to maybe become more aware that, oh, well, maybe the problem is out here and we'd be better off having it in the ground somewhere. Yeah, I think we're and obviously going to talk about that now, actually. That leads yeah. us in quite well. So anything else to say on that, guys? No? 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 So that leads us into our next story, which is about Sellafield.
reinforcing conclusions laid out by the National Audit Office in November 2012, the Public Accounts Committee have reported that the cost of cleaning up Sellafield has reached £67.5 billion, with no sign of this stopping anytime soon. PAC also suggested that successive governments have failed to get to grips with the hordes of waste stored at the site. However, with the advent of the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority, or the NDA, in 2005, have we finally come up with a long-term plan for dealing with our waste legacy? Answer that one, guys. (laughs) (laughs) No? No! It's going to cost a lot more. I think this is obviously, John, you were sort of getting to at the end of the last news story, but this is sort of going back to what we were saying, isn't it, about the fact that surely this will make people more aware that something like a repository is it needed even more? Well, again, it's waste, and waste just... People don't really want to know about it. It's just something that's on the side. And, you know, the governments can't really go in and make loads of exciting policies and get the people interested and therefore start doing some affirmative action. I think it's a case of a lot of the public, I mean, in the same way that we think of our rubbish from our homes, mm-hmm. it's sort of out of sight, out of mind. As soon as it gets on the bin lorry, goes away... I don't care where it goes as long as it's nowhere near me. And I think that's, I don't know, people, I don't think people would like to admit it, but I think that's sort of a preconception that comes across with nuclear waste. They sort of think it's there, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in Cumbria, you know, it's in Sellafield, it's fine there, which it's not going to be because I I would say the the banks are bursting, so to speak. Yeah. 67.5 billion now. There is a lot there. There's like 2 million metres cubed of concrete that needs to be decommissioned. Really? Over 2,600 buildings. That's been irradiated, or that's been contaminated in some way. Yeah, and 290 active facilities. There's so much there. I mean, the infrastructure at Sellafield is absolutely crazy. I mean, I've been there on a visit, and it's uh, pretty insane. Like they, mm. The way they decommission buildings there is not like America, where they essentially just blow it up you know, with some, like, controlled demolition. They have to think about the ventilation that's connected to different buildings. So it's not just the cost of removing the building itself that would be, you know, part of the decommissioning cost, but also reconnecting ventilation to buildings and all sorts of things. I think there's problems at Sellafield, though, that just don't just stem from that, though. It's uh, sort of their record-keeping since the 60s and the 50s. A lot of that stuff has been either lost or it's out ineligible or you know stuff like that it's actually quite hard to sort of decipher you know how the buildings are connected to each other because a lot of as you've saying Steve a lot of these buildings are actually quite old yeah 1940s um, yeah as well they I mean they don't know what's even in some of these ponds anymore well the silos yeah but we were sort of talking about before so guys there's, there's stuff at Sellafield people would like to call them the legacy ponds which uh, makes it sound like a really crap Olympic venue, in my opinion. But, so, basically, the Legacy Pond, essentially, it was actually constructed, uh, I think, during the 1950s and the 60s, and to store Magnox waste. But the problem was, in like, the 70s, after a long reprocessing shutdown, obviously the process where they recycle waste, it actually caused the fuel to be stored underwater in these ponds for a of a lot longer than normal according to the Sellafield website it says for longer periods than normal a lot of this stuff <laughs> they're still there now <laughs> we're getting it, you know we're talking you know nearly 30 years uh, after this shutdown occurred that was their geological disposal <laughs> I mean they don't actually know what's in I mean according to the website the waste consists of sludge magnox fuel miscellaneous intermediate level waste and low level waste material 
Now miscellaneous waste. Miscellaneous, yeah. I mean, I mean, as you said, John, it's not. It's quite alarming, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've sort of decommissioning there. You've got to take stuff out of water as well. You've got to decommission the water as well as what you're taking out. I mean, it's not just a case of plopping out of a building. But I suppose that getting more into this report that was published, some of the conclusions they raised are actually quite, to me, quite shocking, actually. One point they make is basic project management failings continued to cause delays, cost increases to critical risk reduction projects and programmes. This is the interesting sentence. The authority has missed regulatory targets, but expects to start retrieving waste from the legacy cooling ponds and storage sites by 2015, which I think is quite ambitious. Yes. Because if you don't know what's down there, you know, or categorically, you've characterised it, how can you be sure that you're going to take it out in, like, two years' time? Where are you going to put it? I mean, this ties in perfectly with the fact that we don't have in the UK any long-term disposal solution. Mm-hmm. Which is one we need. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be above ground into another above ground interim storage <laughs> facility. And then it, it, it seems like a, a slight contradiction in the next conclusion because of the uncertainty and delivery challenges itself. Taxpayers currently bought almost all the financial risk of cost increases. It's quite alarming, really. Since the ADA, NDA is formed, I've got to admit they seem to have gotten much more control over things. It seems to me that. There isn't that, as you said, John, that sort of long-term plan there and ready to go. Mm-hmm. So, so Steve, what do you uh, essentially think about it? And what do, I mean, what sort of risks and strategies have they got going forward then, Sellafield, to deal with it? Well, it has to be decommissioned, doesn't it? And most of it is old military waste, as John said. Yeah. So surely the government should take most of the brunt of the payments. Really? They should, make, they should pay for it, really. Yeah, but, it, but that, surely that burden will be coming out of taxpayers' money. Yeah. Okay, that's that's quite brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of what sort of challenges have they got then for actually, or what strategies have they got? I mean, you've been looking at certain strategies they've got for cleaning up and decommissioning. Oh, yeah, there's loads of new technologies that are coming out of this as well, such as virtual reality, which... They essentially go through the different rooms taking photos and then put that into virtual reality so they don't have to go back into the rooms and really get ir- irradiated again. That's pretty cool. And helicopters which scan rooms remotely and really cool new technologies from all this money just helping the UK uh, expand to like Fukushima around the world. So lots of positives are coming out of this as well. Yeah. It's like investment in our future. Yeah, so like lots of cool little new technologies and stuff. Yeah. What about um, which we can export? Can I just make the point that I don't I don't want to trivialise the problem or anything, but a lot of this, the waste that is there, is attributable to military uh, actions going on just post-war when we were trying to develop our weapons program. So I mean, I'm very keen on making the distinction between civil and military nuclear. nuclear yeah I mean I think the majority of the civilian side is the, typically the ponds yeah, that's the, the big I, I suppose that's the most famous one but as you said they've, mm-hmm. and they've still got one of the plutonium stacks there haven't they they haven't taken down Winsco yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they've still they've still got one of them to take down as well so that was one of the famous piles they used to obviously form the plutonium for nuclear weapons mm-hmm. um, they took, they've taken one of them down haven't they there was two stacks but they've taken one down but not the one that had the fire they left that one up, didn't they? Yeah, I think yeah, I think they did because it's another sort of decommissioning challenge to think about, you know, what's in it, what's in it and how to take it down. But uh, you know, I was sort of alluded to before about not necessarily knowing what's in there. 
it seems a complete contradiction to me that, according to the report, they've obviously said that the end the end the NWA uh, <laughs> NWO was Hulk Hogan there for a minute. Now the NDA were obviously intending to sort of take the waste out of the legacy ponds by 2015. However, they say in one of the conclusions recommendations in point one that the plan has not been sufficiently tested against benchmarks and a number of uncertainties yet to be resolved. For example, regarding the character of the waste in the legacy ponds, which may have a potentially significant impact on costs and schedules. So that 2015, I think, is a really, really, really tall order when we obviously know that there's still a lot of research for characterisation of, say, actinides down at the bottom of that pond and everything. That's a huge one, though, the pond. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't know. Anything else to say, guys, really, on the issues? or No? To be honest, I don't think the cost is going to go down anytime soon, and I suppose we'll see what happens. What else have we got to say then, guys? Any other miscellaneous news stories? Now Steve was dying to say one or two. Oh, the wind turbine falling over. Wait! Uh, <laughs> 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 We're joking, guys. So what happened there then? What essentially happened there? Oh, the wind is literally blew over. And it just blew over. Really? But and it's it, one of the that... most common ones that's like put around England. So it's quite worrying. It's very worrying. These things are dangerous. I mean, the number of deaths associated with just manufacturing is already much higher than nuclear. Yeah. It's interesting to look at death statistics per kilowatt hour. And you see that nuclear is right at the bottom, the wind just above it. Well, hydroelectrics. Hydro. Huge. <laughs> hydroelectrics, a lot of people dying every year. But that's that's only really, that is an inflated statistic just from a couple of really big down Big incidents. Where they've taken oh, out okay. villages. Okay. So it is a bit of a that's fair false enough, statistic. Then. That's a fair enough point. But uh, still. No, I do think it's quite worrying. There's obviously got to be some sort of review there of the safety of these yeah. turbines. And I think also... I going want them, but... Not if they do. Not if they fall over. Not if they fall over <laughs> in fifty mile. An hour. But is that a rogue? Is that a? Is that was that a isolated case though? I mean, is that regular for them to fall down? I think a lot I mean, of, they lose a lot of blades. Do they? they? Lose blades, yeah. yeah. So this is the bolt at the bottom collapsing or right, okay. in pretty standard winds. <laughs> Two hundred and fifty thousand pounds of windmill for only fifty kilowatt capacity. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, but they last a long time. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? According to you, a wind turbine just fell over. <laughs> so, yeah, anything, anything else? Any other stuff? Except for the Destiny Child song. Right, we did, we should explain this. I did, and I've had a lot of complaints actually from people. I decided to put up a nuclear themed song uh, by Destiny's Child, their new single actually, and to say it's crap. It's a bit of an understatement. They talk about it? conservation of energy. They talk about... Right. Okay, well, they say please they never explain. lose energy. So. Oh, Jesus. And they say it's not created or destroyed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> talk about two becoming one. As oh, no, yeah, but no, it's two become one on a quantum level, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, fusion, yeah. Yeah, fusion. <laughs> well, one become two. Are they talking about gamma tunneling now? Or is that <laughs> there some illusion? <laughs> it has about as much science as it, in it as the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> those, those are fighting words. Those are fighting words. I, honestly, I don't know what... It's not... It sounds like the most quintessentially 90s R&B record, doesn't it? Or is that what they're trying to embrace? It is Destiny's Child. What else do you expect? God, it's appalling. Like, I don't... I mean, I was a big fan of Destiny's Child when I was 10 <laughs> or something, but I mean, that that take, sort of takes the biscuit, really. Any other lyrics in there, Steve, Legacy that you find based. appalling? <laughs> <laughs> Legacy. They should do one about Magnox. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do we do with the slow? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> on a quarter, <laughs> on a Magnox level. <laughs> but anyway, guys. Again, guys, we are sorry that we didn't get anything out to you sooner, but we're glad that you're back and listening, hopefully. And uh, we'll obviously be back with one next month. But yeah, just keep tweeting us. Keep supporting us and everything. Really enjoy some of your tweets that you send in. Have a good day, guys. Have a good weekend. And I suppose we'll see you soon. But it's goodbye from us. Bye. Bye. Bye.